0: We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live
3: around the world on the interwebs at michaeldukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on dish your favorite radio station and or translator. Hello, how are you? Welcome to Hump Day, middle of the week. We can see it all the way down here. It's the downhill slide to firearms Friday, and uh, we are excited to be with you this morning. Let's line out what's coming up today on the program. We're going to hit some headlines here, mostly related to some election stuff and uh, other things, and then, We are going to dive into it with, excuse me, Kenai representative uh, or Peninsula representative, uh, rather, uh, Ben Carpenter, who's going to come on board with us. We hope to get an update on the uh, latest thing that's going on with the grand jury down there. Uh, We heard about that uh, earlier, the dismissal of the grand jury by the judge when they wanted to explore some uh, purported government malfeasance. And... uh, he has been looking into it, and we'll hopefully we're going to get an update on that and other things going on down there uh, in the uh, Nikiski area, and we'll find some information from him and just just, just chit-chat chit, chit, with him for a little bit. Then in Hour 2, we're going to dive into it for our normal Wednesday uh, in, uh, discussion. With uh, Mike Shower for the Shower Hour of uh, Power, that's going to be coming up uh, in hour two, and we'll have the full boat going on there. So uh, that's it. It's gonna. It's a full boat of guests today. Full boat of guests going on. We love to see it. So we look forward to uh, look forward to talking with everybody here and uh, and getting uh, and getting on to it. So interesting news uh, here as we uh, start off here this morning uh, definitely some um, uh, some interesting things happening here in the race um, for uh, well various I guess I guess I should say various races here um, because things are happening all over the place. first and foremost, I found it interesting that the ACLU, and uh, several other groups um, have now filed a lawsuit against the state of Alaska. Uh, and, uh, well, specifically, Lieutenant Governor Kevin Meyer and the Department of Elections Director, Gail Fanumiai. They filed it in Superior Court for the right to a ballot curing process in the Alaska elections. Now, this is being reported by Tim Rocky over there at uh, uh, Alaska's news source, KTUU. The ACLU was joined by the Alaska, uh, excuse excuse me, joined by the Native American Rights Funds and Perkins Coy, it's a huge legal firm, you've probably heard of them before, who are providing legal representation to the League of Women Voters, the Arctic Village Council, and to two individual Alaskans who have had their ballots rejected during the special primary election, which was conducted by mail. Now, you'll remember that when we started talking about the returns on the election by mail, one of the things we noted was that there was a tremendous amount of ballot rejection from areas of the Bush. Uh, I think the, at the highest rate, it was just over 17% from certain precincts and certain areas. And this is something we've talked about in the past uh, with uh, uh, Mike Schauer and others, where one of the major flaws in the rank choice voting system is you end up with a huge number of voters being disenfranchised by having their ballots tossed. Um, and uh, somewhere in the 11 to 12 percent range. And most of them were the <clears throat> elderly and those in some of the poorer areas of where, whichever, wherever they held the election. So this is. <laughs> It's kind of proving out here what's going on here. Uh, The complaint files, uh, file states, the filing states that 24 other states and the municipality of Anchorage already have ballot curing processes in place, allowing for voters who did not complete all the ballot requirements or who made mistakes on their ballots to fill them out correctly without having their ballot open. Affected voters were disenfranchised, says the statement, uh, because they were never given an opportunity to cure the reason the Division of Elections rejected their ballot. Even when the Division of Elections discovered the inadvertent ballot envelope errors well before vote counts were finalized, meaning maybe there was no signature, no witness signature on the outside of the ballot. They simply rejected the ballot outright, and that is because there is no process now. Earlier on, I remember Gail Fanumiai addressing this and saying, well, there was no provision in state law, but I would think that there would be some kind of bureaucratic or regulatory thing as the division of elections, as the director of the division of elections that they could put together. I mean, 24 other states do have it, so it doesn't require the legislature to take a hand, or is this something that the director of elections, the director of the division of elections can, can, uh, you know, put it all together. The complaint continues. This says uh, the complaint notes that 16% of ballots were rejected from the lower Kuskokwim River and Bethel areas, which are made up by 83% Native Alaskans. There were 7,468 rejected mail in ballots during the special primary in total, which is about 4.5% of the votes cast. Overall, Alaska's rejection rate was 4.5%. It stands in stark contrast to data showing that nationwide absentee ballot rejection rates were consistently below 1.5% from 2010 to 2018 and just 0.79% in 2020, says the complaint. Defendants have unduly burdened the plaintiff's right to vote and violated their right to procedural due process as guaranteed by the Alaska Constitution. Of the rejected ballot, 3% were rejected by the division because of ballot defects, such as missing witness signatures, voter ID numbers, or voter signatures. And many voters whose ballots were rejected were not notified with a letter from the division until after the election results have been certified. So there's no way to fix it at that point. Here's the kicker, though. <clears throat> On July the 19th, the group sent a quote-unquote demand letter To Lieutenant Governor Myers and Gail Fanumiai, who responded on July 27th, less than 10 days later, but did not implement a ballot curing process. The plaintiffs in the suit are asking the court to expedite their ruling, allowing for a ballot curing process to be implemented for the November general election. So this is going to be interesting. And again, I don't know. I I honestly don't know if this is something that is going to require legislative action or whether it's something that the director of the Division of Elections can, you know, that they can gen up as a regulation. I mean, I would think that they would have that ability to do something like that because it's a process. It's not. I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens with that. But it's going to be interesting, to say the least. Then we got the big news, the big news on the congressional race. Tara Sweeney, who came in fourth in the regular primary for the Congress seat, has dropped out of the race after garnering about 3.7 percent of the votes counted so far in the primary race, which would have put her in fourth place. Sweeney, the Republican who previously served as the assistant secretary of the Interior for Native Affairs under President Trump uh, and has worked for Arctic Slope Regional and has endorsements from some of the largest native corporations in Alaska. She cited that the expected fundraising challenges in her, uh, have caused her to have this decision to end her bid for Congress. She said, looking at the outcome of the regular primary, I don't see a path to victory nor to raise the resources needed to be successful for this November. Sweeney has raised, according to the ADN, nearly 300,000 since announcing her candidacy last spring. And a separate political action committee uh, supporting Sweeney raised about 600,000. There are thousands of ballots still to be counted. Mary Peltola is in first place um in the pick one primary that was held on the 16th. this is separate from the special election. Remember, you voted for two different two different elections for the same office. The top four vote getters are going forward. Peltola has about 36 percent. Palin has 30. Nick Begich has 26. In fifth place is our good friend, libertarian Chris By, with 0.6 percent of the vote. I mean 0.6 percent. You can do it, Chris, unless another candidate overtakes him as the ballots are counted coming up to the uh, that, you know, they're going to they're they're continuing to count ballots until August 31st. Unless another candidate overtakes him by his name will likely appear on the ballot in November, along with Peltola, Palin and Begich. That's amazing that I mean, that's just that makes me giggle a little bit because. That's who I voted. That's who I voted for. It's a primary, you know, so I always feel like I got to vote my conscience in the primaries. And so I just there you go. Um, According to uh, political strategist, Jim Lotzfeld, um, you've got uh, part of the problem here is it's a bit of a chicken and an egg scenario. He said she is a distant fourth place and the only way she can become competitive is to raise significant resources. And the only way she can raise significant resources is to actually be in contention. This is part of the problem with the whole rank choice thing is that it starts splitting the fundraising field. So you don't have just two clear candidates. It is a whole bunch of people and everybody's fighting for the same resource at that point. Um, So that's, uh, that's an interesting development and for other legislative candidates. Four other candidates, these for the Alaska legislature, have dropped out as well. Democrat Drew Carson, a former legislative aide, has less than 5% of the vote. He's now dropped out of the race for East Anchorage, leaving Assemblymember Forrest Dunbar, the Democrat, at 49%, Republican Andrew Satterfield at 33%, and Garen Tarr, who would have been my pick in the Democratic race on that one, at 14.5%. That's going to be an interesting one. In East Anchorage, Patrick Ian Sharrock, who's a nonpartisan, has withdrawn, leaving a two way race between Republican Forrest Wolf and Democrat Donna Mears. Wolf is currently ahead of Mears by 130 votes. The seat currently being held by Democrat Liz Snyder, who is not running for re election. Uh, she uh, won her first election in 2020 by 11 votes against longtime incumbent uh, Lance Pruitt. That is the seat now that Forrest Wolf and Donna Mears are fighting over. In southwest Anchorage, Alaska Independence Party candidate Timothy Hewitt has withdrawn from a slightly liberal-leaning house race. Andy Josephson is in a tight, contested race against challenger Kathy, uh, Kathy Hensley. Now, this is good for Hensley because Hewitt would have more than likely drawn off of her end of the race She is currently uh, in the lead in that race, and this is good news, uh, I think, in that race for sure. In Ketchikan, Independent Siobhan Meggett was getting less than uh, 4% of the vote before she withdrew, leaving Dan Ortiz, uh, the Independent, quote-unquote, breed Democrat, uh, at 51% of the vote, with the challenger of Jeremy Bynum, who is the Republican, at 45%, Oh, it's gonna be close it, I mean, even with all of her 4 percent of the vote that still puts Bynum at 49%. But again it's just a primary so we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. but we're seeing these candidates drop like flies now. it's uh, it'll be good to see it get down to uh, two or three people races uh, mostly two people races. That's really what I like to see at that. but uh, all right <clears throat> so that's it. We'll see we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Again all the you know, we had less than half the turnout for a regular general election in a primary. So it's nothing more than just an indicator. It's not, uh, it's nothing written in stone. So it's interesting to see what, uh, it's interesting to see what's going on there. All right. Uh, we're up against the break. Uh, we've got Ben Carpenter coming up here in just a moment. He's going to be joining us and we're going to talk with, uh, him about, uh, grand juries and the legislature and more. He's, I mean, he's, He's uh, kind of uh, got a lot to do this summer because he's running unopposed, so he can go out and take care of his normal business life instead of having to run for re-election. Maybe we'll talk to him about that. What a joy that must be, comparatively, I guess. Uh, We're going to be back. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return right after this.
0: If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
3: Okay. Hi, and good morning to you folks. How are you guys doing? I am, um well behind i haven't even looked at the chat room yet this morning so let me go over there real quick and see what you guys are got going on oh thank god it's raining i was concerned it might be dry said rick Apparently he's living in a different part of the state than I am. I know he's not, but you know what I mean. It's sarcasm. Uh, yeah. Thank goodness it was raining again this morning because who? After that little dry spell yesterday, uh, I mean, I think the damp, uh, the I think the grass stopped being damp about five o'clock last night. That was the first time. So we really needed that rain overnight. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Uh, let's see. Good morning. Um. Jen, hey, Jen's in the chat room. She never makes it to the 6 a.m. party until about 10 a.m. That's what you do. You listen on the podcast. You get in there. Um, all right. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, she will not do the job she was hired for. I think Terry is talking about Gail Fanumiae, uh, I think, is what Terry is talking about there. Um, I mowed the yard twice, once wet and last it dried, so I mowed it again. I uh, was looking like I know. I keep. I told my son last night. I said you should go out and mow the lawn. He goes. I'll do it tomorrow. I'm like it might rain. He goes. I'll do it. Yo know, oh man, it's bad. Um, Shelley says I am pleased that Chris By will be on the ballot in November. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed that Chris will be on the ballot in November. Um, the state does. The state does not want Dunbar. I'll tell you. He's destroying Anchorage. Says Jen. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. But it is good news for Kathy Hensley. Absolutely. Um. All right, good morning, good morning, good morning I wrote a letter to the editor in Ketchikan last Friday Dan Ortiz is not going to like it, says Susie Good for you, good for you Good morning, Cindy, good morning, Debbie, good morning, Jack Good morning to everybody that has said good morning this morning All right, um, let's uh, jump over here and get ready We're going to start talking with our friend uh, uh, Ben Carpenter here Let's uh, bring him on. He is uh, on the look at this. It's like we're professionals or something. We got video for everybody. I feel like it. Welcome to CNN. Let's sit down and talk with our latest guest. Um, There's all this new technology is pretty fancy and I'm liking it. Uh, ben Carpenter uh, joins us this morning to talk about, uh, well, whatever we want to talk about. We're not quite back to the radio yet, but let's say good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you?
1: Good morning, Michael. I'm doing very well.
3: It's good to see you, my friend. And are you uh, are you? I guess I should ask since you're running unopposed. Are you enjoying a little bit of downtime, getting some work done for your business, and I mean everything else you've neglected over the last number of months?
1: I am. I, I have also been spending some time working on uh, some fundraising and other things with uh, other candidates to make sure that I have a good team down there. Well, that's the. I thing. feel a little guilty, but. You know, well, it's not my fault.
3: I know it's not your fault, <laughs> but I mean, you're right. You have to do it because, hey, great. I go down there 100 percent of the vote. Look at me. But at the same time, you got all these guys around you. And if they're getting killed, you know, what good is it going to do you to be down there 100 percent vote for you? But you're going to be working all alone. You'll be standing on the end of the, of the precipice with nobody around to help you out. You got to have some support. Yeah, that's
1: right. That's uh, we got to build the team. Yeah. And that's what we've been doing. And and it looks good for the uh, primary election results for the House are uh, encouraging. Uh, Yeah, definitely need people to show up at the polls. But, um, you know, in November, it it looks good.
3: Yeah, no, the disappointment right now is in some of the Senate uh, turnings. But I think a lot of that, again, the uh, the the. The primary is just that it's basically just a taste test. It's not even really a poll at this point um, because it was, uh, you know, pretty low in some areas, pretty good turnout in some areas, pretty low in others. But historically, primaries have always been half of what the general election is. So. We'll see We'll see how it plays out We've got another two months here to get it all figured out So we'll talk about that um, Alright Ben, we'll hold the line And I will be back to you here in just a second And we will continue uh, We'll continue with you here uh, After we rejoin the radio Folks, uh, go ahead and uh, like and share the show Like and follow if you can uh, If you haven't uh, subscribed on YouTube yet Or rung the bell, please do so Oh, hey, you know what that means. It's time to get back to it. Let's go. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like a share, like a share, like a share, and hit subscribe and ring the bell. Here we go. uh, Welcome back to the program Uh, We're continuing now Jumping into it uh, Ready to talk with our guest Uh, First guest of the show today And that is Representative Ben Carpenter Who is coming uh, to us uh, Live from down there In uh, the Dekiski area and he joins us this morning to talk about well, pretty much a lot a lot of stuff. We were just actually chatting during the break about um, you know the need for kind of a comprehensive plan. He may be running unopposed and have an easy path to victory for himself, but that doesn't mean it's good for the rest of the rest of the state house of the legislature as a whole. So maybe we'll start off with that before we get into the grand jury stuff and uh, see what he has to say. Good morning, Ben. How are you? Oh, let me. Uh, I'm sorry, Ben. Too fancy for my own good. Let me. Uh, oh, you chose to mute yourself. There you go. Uh, I I, um,
1: I goofed it up, didn't I? No,
3: it's okay. It's okay. I was like, I couldn't. I didn't mute you, but there you go. Uh, so,
1: but let's. <laughs> I'm doing well, Michael. How are you?
3: Good, good. It's a beautiful day. I mean, it's. I guess it's rainy. I mean, I keep looking for you know animals two by two in a big boat somewhere down at the end of the road there, and I don't know. Uh, what else I'm looking for, but hopefully we see a little sunshine here. Maybe we get an Indian summer. I don't know, but um, uh,
1: we're in the high ground in Nikiski, so I don't have to worry about it. rain's good for the farm.
3: There you go, there you go. Well, let's talk a little bit about what we, we, you and I were just chatting off the air, and you know, I was saying it must be nice to have a little time to yourself, and you said, well, you're still out there fighting and helping raise funds and working for other candidates because. You can't go to the I mean you are, are, you're going you're going to be in Juneau in January. We know that. You're 100% uh, you're unopposed. You got 100% of the vote. Yada yada yada. But you can't do it alone. You have to have a team working with you that uh, will will help. So Let's talk a little bit about that. What do you see right now shaping up? Now, again, full disclosure, we have to say it all the time. We know that this is a primary. It's just nothing more than a quick snapshot of where things are at. Uh, It's, you know, a poll or whatever you want to say. It's going to be different come election day. But what do you see as you look at it now as it sits right here?
1: Yeah, so primaries uh, generally are just a snapshot, like you said. I think what we can take away from this primary is um, a little bit different than what we took away from previous primaries. If you look at, um, many of the races show uh, between 20 and 30% voter turnout, which is uh, an anomaly or it's at least unusual for what we normally see in primaries. So It may be a, a larger bellwether of what's to come in November than what we generally speak of. Uh, you know how much credence to give primary results, and it's a, a ranked choice voting situation where we've never done before um, in November. So who knows exactly what this what this primary results means? But that being said, I think that the uh, if the primary does the trends hold true uh, from the primary um, based on voter turnout, then it is looking good for being able to retake the House in. Uh, in November. I'm, I'm really optimistic that that's the case. There's a few races, um, especially in Anchorage that are, um, of concern and are, are must wins for us. So I'm, I'm, uh... Uh, cogn- cognizant of that, I'm 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 going to be helping with that as as much as I can to right. make sure that those uh, those people win.
3: Now, of course, the tough part, and we've seen that there's some positive movement towards a you know towards a, mo- a majority in the House, but the Senate is not looking as rosy as it was. I mean, already a pretty contentious bunch in there to begin with, where you seem to have uh, you know it's not necessarily even conservative and liberal. It's more. Um, you know, n- less government pro PFD, uh, more government, no PFD, and then more government nope It's like, you've got these different cadres in there. It's really a basically pro government spend versus no government spend. And, uh, you're seeing those fracture lines in there. Um, uh, you know, even bigger now on the Senate side.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Michael. I, I think it is, it would be, um, it would be really sad to be able to retake the house and then the Senate be the. The stumbling block with uh, regard to implementing some sort of long term fiscal plan. Um, you know, it's kind of, um, I've refined my message just a little bit. <laughs> uh, the further we get into uh, this election season, I i look at this, what's happening around the nation and the, the creep towards socialism, or maybe the full scale rush towards socialism, and how much that um, mirrors or, or um, looks like. Um, conservatives republicans democrats doesn't matter what political party you are looking to government whether it's federal or state to fund their their lifestyles their businesses that type of thing
3: their pet and projects their largely social, yeah their pet projects their social justice got things, right.
1: in the state of alaska
3: yeah no is, and I, is a lack of economic growth yeah i've been arguing that for years on oil economy i've been arguing that for years that it's not it's not Democrats versus Republicans. It's not progressives and conservatives. It is pro-government versus no government or small government, small government versus pro-government, private sector versus public sector spend. That's where the thing is. And we're seeing more and more where Republicans are embracing what traditionally would have been like a blue dog Democrat kind of position where they're looking to government to solve all the problems instead of looking to the private sector, and they're willing to fund the public sector over the private sector. And that's what we're seeing here. It's really not a party thing. It's a philosophy. No, it
1: is a philosophy thing. It's, um, I don't know, it's kind of like low expectations, right? We're not expecting anything greater out of Alaska, so let's fight over the pie. Yeah. We should be talking about growing the pie, not how big my slice is going to be.
3: Right. Right. No, I agree totally. And that seems to be, I mean, we've lost the long-term vision. I mean, there is no more. It seems like we're always, and I've made complaints about this for years, that we seem like we're always planning for the next election cycle. We're never having a plan that's five years, that's 10 years, that's 20 years down the road. It's always what happens between now and and two years from now, the next election cycle. And that's as far as long-term vision in the state seems to be going
1: that some have a long-term vision and it is to use the permanent fund to fund state government. Yeah. And, and that is, that is, that is their long-term vision. And I would argue that that is a, a death knell to economic growth in the state of Alaska. If the legislature doesn't care about economic growth because the state budget, the state government is funded by investment earnings, what incentive is there for policies that promote economic growth where most people work? I mean, most people don't work in the oil industry. Good-paying jobs are in the oil industry, but most people work in the non-oil economy. So if that's where we want to see growth, if that's where we want where we're expecting our our jobs to to increase and economic activity to happen, then why would we expect the legislature in the next decade to care that that's going to grow? If the legislature is able to fund its government off of the permanent fund earnings, it's it's ridiculous. It's a, right. a short-sighted vision.
3: Well, and we've seen more and more people talk about that, right? I mean, this this dream of a hundred million dollar permanent, a hundred billion dollar permanent fund. Oh, but that's now. Then it was one hundred and five. And now it's one hundred and twenty billion dollar permanent fund because they know then it would spin off all the money they need to continue to grow government and not have to involve the public at all in it just for that government growth. That's what they care about, making sure they can spend the money on the government they want. And nothing should stop that. That's why they don't want to give you a permanent fund, because they want all that money to pour back into the fund corpus so that it continues to grow the nest egg so it can spin off and produce more government.
1: What did we hear this last legislative session? The greed, the entitlement, it's astounding. The greed,
3: and the, asto- Wait, the gr- the greed. and the entitlement is, in fact, astound. Wait, what was that? And the
1: entitlement is astounding to me. Nope. I just yeah. Yeah. don't fathom it.
3: Nope, I just don't. Fa- in fact, I've got a T-shirt coming out, by the way, that it should be good for that <laughs> one. But yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, how dare we, the people be greedy enough to want our slice of the resource as outlined in law how dare yeah. we want that when they know better than we how that should be spent that the government should just sit down and shut up children and let the adults talk in the room that's i mean that's that that encompasses that whole comment right there that whole that whole yeah. diatribe is basically shut up and sit down children we know better than you how to spend your money
1: you know, the, uh, it's interesting, and this is kind of a, a segue, but um, the Biden administration had a, a, a court case that they lost just recently, I think it was last week, where the, um, the administration's policy was to not uh, do leases up in, up in Alaska, up in the oil leases, right? And the court said, no, the, the statute, the law, Congress said, um, you shall uh, make leases available for sale. And so they shot down their policy, the bureaucratic policy, the administration policy of not providing leases for sale. And we juxtapose that with what's happening in the state of Alaska in regards to following the statutes, right? What the legislative intent is, what the legislature did was enact a uh, sh- uh, shall transfer money from the permanent fund earnings to the, to the uh, dividend fund and the courts the, or the bureaucracies said yeah we really don't want to do that and the court said oh okay you don't have to do that right <laughs> but the authority the authority is granted to the legislature to do that to set that up right and yet the the courts are supporting the bureaucracy in this regard so um yeah we if we just follow the law things would would go a certain way and we would then have to deal with that reality but in in this in uh, instance of where we are now, we're not following the law and we have to deal with that reality. And, and you know, we're just not, we just don't have the, the form of self-government that works well if we pick and choose which laws we've we can follow and which we don't have
3: to. And I want to get into the grand jury stuff. We're going to wait to the next segment for that now because we've only got a couple minutes left, but because I want to focus on this for just a second. That's the thing. We have two laws that are diametrically opposed. And when the legislature, when the Senate specifically put SB 26 up in front of everybody, they knew that, which was the POMV law back in 2016, 2015, they knew that this law was directly contravened the statutory dividend formula. It put both of these laws directly in conflict with each other. But they, at that time, and they could have in SB 26, not only instituted a POMV, but at the same time, changed the statutory formula or eliminated that statute from the books. And it would have not, then you would not have these conflicting laws. Instead, they intentionally did it. They set it up so that they could make a stand on this and then take it to court and do all this stuff. And they knew they could pass the ball over to governor. Walker, who I'm assuming must have talked to somebody and said, if you do this, I'll go ahead and, you know, I'll make, I'll make some vetoes and things. So it was really a setup. And now you've got two, this law has been on the books for seven years, two laws that are contravening each other. And so they can pick and choose. And the, and the court said, yes, you can decide, but really, isn't it that the basic decision is one. Legislature cannot bind over, and it doesn't mean you can just ignore the statute. It means you has the power. You have the power to change the statute, but it would still be political suicide to change the statute at this point. That's why they leave it on the books.
1: Well, my and this was before that happened before I came into the legislature. But my understanding is that they had the the bills written that would have repealed the statutory formula, what we consider the statutory formula. But they didn't have the support for that. They barely eked by. Uh, passing the language changes as it has changed now. And what people need to realize is by going to the POMV formula, yeah, we may have stabilized the the amount that comes out, but we have also created a mechanism by which we draw down the fund if we have too many bad years in a row. Right. Whereas if you were going with a statutory formula, 21% of net earnings, you're never ever going to draw down the corpus of the fund because you're only ever going to draw from 21% of whatever the net earnings were. And if you had zero net earnings that year, you would have zero PFD.
3: We've seen that. <laughs> and well, that's the way that it should be. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the, the statutory formula has built into it that buffer against the market swings, the ups and downs. That 21%, which equates to a five-year rolling average of the earnings of the fund. So we saw that in 20, you know, in 2000 and uh, whatever it was, 2010, when the the bottom fell out or 2007, when the bottom fell out of the markets. And we saw the dividends drop precipitously, like by two thirds. And then for five years, it slowly eked up until that one year of bad earnings fell off. And then the dividend leapt back up. So we never were in danger of depleting the corpus of the fund or depleting the earnings reserve account that, that accounts for part of that corpus. And instead, it was there. But this POMV just takes a set amount, regardless if, if we make money or lose money, it just takes that set amount year after year. It's a dangerous formula in the long run.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just um, it just supports a long term vision that's short sighted that says, you know what? Our economy is never going to grow. We, we, we aren't going to grow our economy. And so we need our state government more than we need economic growth with that money. Right. Because if you're spending 50 percent of the earnings, whatever, however you figure them out. But if you spend 50 percent of the earnings on the private sector through dividend. But if, if you're saying, hey, that needs to go away it's a, a greater priority to fund state government. With this money then you're just saying we don't want to see economic growth we want to see um, earnings growth and government growth and it's a long it's a short-sighted long-term vision
3: ben carpenter is our guest we're going to continue with him here in just a moment uh we're going to talk a little bit about the grand jury stuff that was going on uh, he brought to our attention here a couple weeks ago that a grand jury was dismissed by a judge after they said they wanted to look into reports of government malfeasance. And uh, that is unconstitutional. Uh, ben brought that to our attention. We'll see if we get some updates on that. We will continue with more. It is The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking Radio. We return with more right after this.
0: Our light, our guide.
1: and our trusted friend..
3: Uh, we're in the break right now, Ben. I'm I still have this. I you know, I, I all I can think of uh, because I had just come down to Anchorage. Uh, So this would have been in 2014, 2015. I remember I just started my radio show down in Anchorage, and uh, I still remember that victory lap selfie. It was Machiki, it was Leslie McGuire, it was Anna McKinnon, it was uh, was Mia Costellers. There was a bunch of folks that they took this, look at us, we passed SB26, how great it will be for Alaska, and all I could think of was, you you created this stalemate, and this is before Walker even did, uh, vetoed the permanent fund. And I said, you've created this dichotomy of these two laws that are in conflict with each other, you know, and you just didn't have the chutzpah to touch the 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 formula because you knew it would be sudden death. And And I just I was just I was shocked. I'm still shocked to this day that it went through and that nobody bothered to fight it in that regard.
1: Yeah, that was all marketing,
3: right? Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Look <laughs> at us. Look at, look at what a good thing we did. Ha ha. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty crazy. And I remember that was my first interview with Peter Machicchi that I'd ever had. And, and, uh, and I asked him because uh, then-Senator Dunleavy had put forward an <clears throat> amendment that they should vote, that they should put it before a vote of the people, before they have POMV go in and become the law of the land, that either they should repeal the statutory or they should at least have the people have a vote on the POMV. And I asked uh, Senator Machicchi, I said, why wouldn't you have? And he goes, well, people would vote with their pocketbooks. And I'm like, well, they always vote with their pocketbooks. Are you kidding? Like it's some kind of bad or evil thing that people would want to vote with their pocketbooks because he knew that the majority of people would be opposed. This, again, is that politician's disease of we know better than you how to spend your money, so just let us do our thing and shut up, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. That's exactly it. And and basically, you can't blame the legislature, right? legislature its purpose is to spend money largely that's its only constitutional purpose and we have basically three pots of money to spend it from so every year we're going to squabble over how to divvy up that pie unless we have enough people with a vision that is one of economic growth and right. instead of just divvying up the pie
3: well and this that's, is this is the important i think of the con con and we got about three and a half minutes here to talk about it during the break i guess but um, you know the, the. I think and I agree. Uh, I was a little hesitant at the beginning. I was very. I was worried about opening up the constitution. But I'm now in agreement with Shower that basically the only. There, there is no political will in the legislature to fix this. The only way to fix it is for the people to fix it. Um, what say you on the on the on the uh, con con? I mean, is that is is? It, or do you agree that that's the only way that we're going to get this fixed because there is no political will?
1: Yeah, I I agree. If now. If we're if we're saying is there will now looking at the the results from the primary election and and I see that the no matter how this election happens in November there's not going to be a super majority one way or the other so the only way that we're going to get any sort of um, stability within our government is to do it through a constitutional convention we're just we're just not going to get it through the legislature and that boils down to the the uh, the ability to pass resolutions within a convention is a 50 is a a majority vote as opposed to passing resolutions within the legislature. That is a, a much higher threshold. And I think it's, Two-thirds vote. Maybe it's a three-quarters, but anyway, it's a higher threshold. So you're never gonna get there unless you've got a supermajority.
3: Right, right. Three quarters vote for the uh for the constitutional <laughs> amendments. I mean it's a very, very high bar. Yeah. Um yeah. and three quarters. Yeah. And 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 what would be nice, especially if we held the CONCON during the legislative session, of course you wouldn't have any legislators uh trying to be nominated. And in fact I think that there is a prohibit prohibition on active sitting legislators being part of being delegates to the constitutional convention. But that's not to say that previous legislators couldn't be. So, I mean, it's definitely going to be a political process. It'll be a lot of a political zoo. But the good news is, is that whatever change they propose still has to go before the people. And so the people still get a say in that. So even though there is a danger in opening up, because who knows, they could get into it for right to life. They could get into it for you could do all kinds of things. But putting the PFD formula into the Constitution, putting a spending cap in there, adjusting and and modifying our judicial uh, nomination process, all those things. I mean, the only way we're going to get it done, I think, is via a constitutional convention.
1: Well, even if you are passing a resolution to change the Constitution within the legislature during a normal business, um, normal session, it still has to be voted on by the people. So basically what we're saying right now is by not passing those resolutions is we don't want the people to vote on it. We don't want the people to have an opportunity to say yes or no on this
3: issue because people
1: the, the requirement. The requirement to have a constitutional convention.
3: Right. Because people would vote, with, yeah, wallet, vote right? with their pocketbooks. They right? vote with their pocketbooks. <laughs> That's what I mean. That was, I, it was so shocking to me when he said that. I was just like, looked at my screen, like, what? Um, All right. We're coming up yes, on it.
1: I, I Go ahead I seem to remember another a famous quote That said something about It's the economy, stupid yeah. It is always about the pocketbook
3: It is always, always about the pocketbook All right, Ben Carpenter is our guest We're jumping back into it uh, We're getting ready to go The Michael Duke Show Common Sense, Liberty-based Free-thinking radio Please share the show No matter where you are And like and subscribe All right, we're continuing now with Representative Ben Carpenter down from Nikiski. It's uh, House District uh thirty uh, uh twenty nine, right? Twenty no, thirty. You're thirty. Sure. 30? I am 29 currently. 29. 29 currently, right. Okay. I am so confused. Every time they redistrict, I lose my mind. So you're 29, but then you're going to be something like 7 or something, right? 8. 8. There you go. I knew I was close. Because <laughs> then they, they just flip it from one side of the state to the other. They flip it top to bottom, and so you can never figure it out. All right. Um, so, uh, Ben Carpenter, uh, you brought to our attention here not too long ago uh, the fact that the grand jury Which is one of the only citizens bodies that really it's it's really the oversight for government in many ways. A grand jury is very important. Um, And you talked about a a grand jury that was seated in Kenai and that they had finished the majority of their work that had been brought before them. But the but the grand jury himself has the constitutional right. If there is evidence presented to them of government malfeasance or misconduct, that they have the right to bring that information before themselves and to sit and uh, and to judge it. And to uh, and to see if there's something that's indictable in there. Uh, and then you told the story of as soon as this information was brought forward to the local judge who was uh, overseeing the grand jury, she immediately disbanded it, which is unconstitutional. So give us give us the backstory real quick and then give us whatever update you've been able to figure out here from then.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so there have been um, that I'm aware of. There have been three separate instances in the last few years about. Um, Either the executive branch through the um, prosecuting attorney or the judicial branch through the sitting presiding judge um, um, stymieing or prohibiting or or preventing an investigatory grand jury. And some of that has been process related, meaning the jurors have brought up an issue during the process of uh, deliberating on another issue. And so there's uh, a conflict between what they should be focused on right now. So it's a time, a question of timing in the past. Um, Right now we have a grand jury that is investigating um, some matters that previously there was not uh, an investigatory grand jury allowed. This um, is something that the district, uh, district attorney in Kenai is working through. And it is something that the um, attorney general supports. Um, the issue that that this has all revolved around has been uh, Mr. Heg, and he has brought some allegations forward. Mr. Heg has had his ability had had an ability to sit and present his information to a grand jury. That information was um, shepherded by the district attorney, and um, they the the grand jury is deliberating right now. I it isn't something that the grand jury is going to make an announcement on. So the public is never allowed to know what happens within a grand jury. It's a secretive process. So we kind of just have to, we will know. We will know with the absence of any sort of indictment or, or report that comes out of the grand jury, what kind of what the grand jury was thinking or which direction they decided to head with their investigation. Um, we would also know if the prosecuting attorney presents um an indictment and the grand jury um acts upon that in a positive fashion or a, a uh, fashion to forward that on to the to the um the court for action but if the grand jury receives the information or they have received the information and they decide to do nothing with it then there wouldn't be there wouldn't necessarily be a report or any right. kind of acknowledgement to the public that that something was done right it, it's just a secretive process which i mean I so, think in that a, regard but I think,
3: I think it's a good thing but because, that is just yeah
1: yeah that's a good thing that is that is a, a protection against abuse for uh, right for for the general public and ruining people's lives and reputations
3: uh now the reporting that you said earlier was that uh that that that, that the local sitting judge had said no she had gone ahead and she had she had basically dismissed that grand jury is that is that the case is that not the case is there something else coming up give us some you know tell us what's going on here
1: yes it is the case that is the case um my my investigation and my best information um is that that did occur and it is possible that that uh incident is part of the deliberation of the grand jury again so I'm not a so part a, of the grand jury, so, so I don't know for sure.
3: So there is an oh, convers- wait a second. So there is another grand jury. So we're talking about two separate jury and p- panel juries here. So the one was dismissed no, no, or another not. one. Okay, same one.
1: Uh, oh, I, I'm sorry, I misunderstood you. Yes, you're right. The the grand jury that was dismissed on June 29th is remains dismissed. There has been a second grand jury impaneled, and that grand jury has had information presented to them about uh, public corruption. And is doing something with it. Okay. I, we don't know what they're doing with it. And we don't know exactly what line items that they're looking at. Right. Right. We, we don't know. It is possible that what happened on June 29th is part of the allegations or, or the thing that they're investigating, but we we don't know for sure. We'll have to see what the results are of this grand jury to know whether whether there was something there that needed to be investigated and, and further um, now my, my argument is it's it's not um, there are there are people willing to sign affidavits legal documents and and, and swear to the fact that the judge t- stopped them from investigating after the grand jury decided they wanted to have more information. If that's not dealt with, then uh, in this grand jury that's currently investigating, then it needs to be dealt with in another manner. And that may be up to the legislature in the next session or a special session if we wanted to call ourselves in, which is not going to happen this year. Right, right. It, it, would, it would be fully within our purview to um, do an investigation by committee um, in January or sometime next session to get to the bottom of this. Because a, a judge cannot be allowed to tell a grand jury um, who's decided to ask for information that, no, you can't do that. That is that is not constitutional. They have a obligation by statute and by constitution to look into to investigate into um, public welfare and safety. And in my mind, that includes government corruption of all sorts.
3: Well, and I think this is the double edged sword of the privacy we were just talking about. I think it's good. That if somebody is, if information is brought up and something is brought up before a grand jury and they decide not to indict, then that whole thing just basically is sealed and it goes away and nobody ever hears about it. But something like this, it was so blatantly unconstitutional. Um, You know, this should be raising eyebrows from one side of the state to the other. And I know the attorney general was looking into it and everything else. And we can only speculate that that's what the current grand jury is looking into. But, um, to me, when you laid this out, it was very shocking uh, that that a judge would basically just say, "Oh, you're looking at government corruption." I'm sorry, you're all dismissed. Have a nice day.
1: Yeah, that and that's exactly what has happened. And thus far, we don't have resolution. It, it isn't. It. I don't know whether it's going to be resolved through this um, grand jury process that's occurring right now, because there isn't a level of transparency that allows anybody to know. The results will tell us whether there was. Um, action taken by the grand jury. And, and we have to remember that a grand jury does can issue indictments. And that means that the prosecuting attorney would then have to act upon that. But um, the uh, grand jury can also issue a report, which is less than an indictment. And per court rules 6.1 that spells out kind of how you do the reports, um, there can be evidence of criminal activity Um, highlighted in a report it just isn't uh, it doesn't rise to a level or for some reason the grand jury decided not to indict on it but it can be uh, alleged in that report and then there's a process for that report to be created which um, the judge has to take into account um, also protecting people's uh, reputations and whatnot so some of that report may be redacted through that process but there would be there can be a report generated by the grand jury um, on what their deliberations, uh, what information they want the public to know about their deliberations, and that doesn't rise to an, to a um, an indictment.
3: And there is no timeline on this. I'm assuming. I mean, it's just within the time of the grand jury, or is there a timeline we can look at? We're less than a minute out now.
1: Yeah. So um, by the court rules, they have uh, four months, I believe. I don't know why I'm thinking why I'm freezing on this, but three or four months they're required to uh, have that's the time frame for a grand jury, but it can be extended if necessary. The judge just has to extend it. But yeah, traditionally it's uh, three or four months.
3: All right, well, we look forward to hearing more about this and we look forward to hearing more from you as we get closer to the election. Uh, we appreciate you coming on board. Uh, thank you, Representative Ben Carpenter for being part of my experiment this morning with the video and everything. And kind of cool huh i mean it's kind of cool to be able to do this so
1: yeah it is yeah as always it's a pleasure michael
3: all right oh, hold the line for us for just a second folks we are out of time hour two is dead ahead state senator mike shower will be joining us this morning the michael duke show common sense liberty based free thinking radio all right uh we're in the break here ben i'll give you the whoops Everything froze for a second there. Um, I'll give you, uh, you know, a chance here, final bite at the apple for final thoughts this morning. Um, I'm I'm encouraged to hear. First of all, before I, before I let you free here, I am encouraged to hear that there is a second grand jury. Um, that would that's good news. Uh, and and the question then becomes. Uh, is it the same judge that's presiding over this one that was presiding over the other one? And I have a lot of other questions, but uh, it's good to see at least that some of uh, some folks are uh, uh, are are listening to what's going on. So here's
1: the other the other piece that's critical in this regard is that the information that has been presented to the grand jury currently is information that the district attorney brought to the grand jury, supported by. Uh, evidence from another individual that the grand jury decided was needed to be the witness. What has not happened is a member of the grand jury brings information to the grand jury, and the grand jury decides to investigate. That is the power that we need to retain, and that is something that is not being addressed in the current grand jury investigation. So that that issue still needs to be resolved. It isn't solely upon the power of the district attorney to bring information to the grand jury. Statutory authority also allows for members of the grand jury to bring information to the grand jury. This is, this is very critical. It's a distinction that is very critical to maintaining checks and balances within our, our state government. We have to retain the power of the 12 individuals on that grand jury to, to decide on their own with their own information to uh, conduct an investigation. If the, majority of those members decide to, uh, regardless of whether the district attorney wants it to happen, regardless of whether the judge wants it to happen. Those those 12 need to be able to to investigate what they um, decide is in the best interest of the public welfare and safety and not just because the the executive branch to the department of law decides that it, that this rises to the level of their opinion rises to the level of of an uh investigatory grand jury right so that part is not being addressed um, to the best of my knowledge it's not being addressed with with this uh, grand jury, and we'll have to continue down that path.
3: Right, because that is implicit in the power. The power of the grand jury is in is in its independence from the governmental branches, from the prosecutorial <laughs> arm, from the administrative, and from the judicial arm. That is the power of a citizen's grand jury.
1: Yes. However, uh, it's been brought to my attention that the the judge believes that it that it it's all open to interpretation. And okay. I wholeheartedly I mean, disagree. I have read. <laughs> the... You can interpret the statute any way you want, but at yeah. the end of the day, twelve people, the majority of which, they get to decide whether they're going to investigate on something or not.
3: Right. Well, and I've read the Constitution because you pointed me to the part we were talking about, so I read that part. It's pretty clear. It's really not open to interpretation. It basically is like a shall. It's not a may or a could. It is a shall. And uh, that is really not open to interpretation. So it's pretty blatantly, I think, I think any plain reading of the Constitution would give you the idea that, nope, this is pretty much this is how it is. No interpretation needed.
1: Yeah, and and the statute supports that it, it is it further uh, tunes that in and uh, uses shall language. So it's, it's pretty clear in my book.
3: Yeah. All right. Well, representative Ben Carpenter, thank you so much. This was fun. I'm glad you, you were able to do it. I'm, uh, I'm trying to push more and more of my guests to do this kind of video interactive thing. I like this. So uh, we get a chance to see each other and and talk back and forth and I uh, I like it. So thank you for taking the time this morning. And if you hear anything new, Please don't hesitate to reach out to us and let us know. We'll do. Thanks, Uh, Michael. All right. Thank you for coming on board. Uh, Representative Ben Carpenter, our guest, the Michael Duke show. Uh, We've got uh, more coming up, including we're going to have – Mike Schauer, join us here in just a moment. I'm waiting for him to jump into the uh, green room and be part of it here, and we'll get things uh, squared away. Let me go back to the chat room real quick to see some of the things that you guys have been talking about um, and see what uh, uh, a lot of thank yous to Representative Carpenter. Um, I'm scrolling backwards here. Boy, you guys got real verbose there for a little bit. Um, big, here's a good one from Hawk, big government doesn't want to let go of that power and control. That's why the anti concon people are against the constitutional convention. I agree. Uh, I think it's a huge reason why they're against the Constitutional Convention, because it would fracture their current power structure. They don't want to address these things, and they know they don't want the people to address these things, so they stirred up with scare tactics and everything else you've already seen. And again, just look at the people who are supporting the anti-ConCon movement. The 1630 Project, the NEA, the IBEW, these are organizations that are either directly benefiting, uh, like the unions directly benefiting from that government spend, or the 1630 Project have a philosophical bone to chew with people who want to take more control of their government. They're not interested in that. So just look at who's supporting that anti-con-con movement, the Defend the Constitution group, who have got 300 and something thousand bucks to throw around. So we've really got to get on the stick with that and start uh, start moving on on that. Um, The Constitution states that being um, okay. the Constitution, this is Rob Myers, Senator Rob Myers is in the chat on YouTube. The Constitution states that being a delegate at a CONCON is the only office that sitting legislators may hold. So they can be. It's not a prohibition. In fact, it's an exemption that allows sitting legislators to hold a delegate slot in the CONCON. So let's hope that they hold it during the session. So that they don't have to do that. So they don't have to do that at all. Oh man. Um, all right. Uh let's see. Uh Donna can can uh Donna um uh, she oh she contradicted me here. It wasn't three-quarters vote, it's two-thirds vote for the uh for the uh uh Constitu- I thought constitutional amendments had to have a three-quarters vote. But anyway, two-thirds, three-quarters, it's a big, it's a big uh threshold there at this point. Um, Kevin McCabe, the power of private money in the economy cannot be overstated. and that's the problem is many of these people, they don't care about the private money, they don't care about a lot of that stuff. Uh, they want that money to go straight to the legis- they want that they want the money for the government. All right, let's go back to it. here we go, the Michael Duke Show Common Sense radio. <laughs>
0: Buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out themichaeldukesshow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world,
3: live around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com, and across the state of Alaska on this your favorite radio station and/or translator. Welcome to the program. It is uh, your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Well, we're getting whoa, whoa, holy cow, we're getting into it here. We're getting ready to uh, talk about all the good stuff and everything that's happening. Uh, It is the Shower Hour of Power. We just finished up with Representative Ben Carpenter, a fantastic conversation with him. If you missed that, you can catch it on the replay on Facebook, uh, Facebook or on YouTube. And, of course, as always, on the podcast, which is available wherever you find podcasts. CastBox, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and, of course, Spotify um the shower hour of power though kicks off right now state senator mike shower is our guest looks like he's dialing us in this morning via telephone instead of uh our normal video chat link good morning my friend how are you
2: good morning unfortunately we have well not unfortunately we have guests and i have been relegated to the basement where i have no lighting or really to sit <laughs> on video chat so today i am in the dungeon on the phone.
3: Okay. So you're a basement dweller today. I am a basement I'm, dweller. I'm no ju- good
2: place to video chat. I'm just
3: <laughs> in my mom's basement calling you right now from the... Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome
2: That's to, a little spooky.
3: I know, really. <laughs> well, well... <coughs> excuse me. Welcome to the program. Um, so uh, let's... Uh, we just finished up with Ben, and I don't know if you were following along or not, but... Uh, I think that uh, we've got some deeper analysis now since it's been uh, over a week. From the primary, we're seeing some of these numbers play out. We're seeing how some of the things uh, and some of the races where people are dropping out. You and I did some deeper dives last week on some of the different races. You were concerned more about the Senate side than the House side, although we've seen dropouts in the House side as well. So I don't know. Let's just I'm going to let you free range this morning a little bit and see where you want to start. Let's just uh, let's just take it from the top there, Mike.
2: Well, sure. I mean, let's, I I did not listen this morning. So what was, uh, I'll ask a question first. What was Ben's general analysis on it?
3: Well, he said, you know, again, uh, highlighting the fact that this is not, nothing is set in stone because it's just a primary. Um, But he did note that the primary numbers, the percentage of actual voters, was higher than normal in a primary. Um, Statistically, usually a primary is about half of what the general vote is. But we had some pretty high voter turnouts in a lot of different districts. And he said, so that was a bit of an anomaly, but it's still just a snapshot. He said it's looking like uh, there is a potential for the House uh, majority to take back the House, and that is good. Uh, He is concerned, obviously, with the Senate uh, and some of the changes there. He said it would be tragic to take back the majority in the House and then uh, lose the majority in the Senate at the same time. And, of course, I think that's something that we talked a little bit about last week as well. But uh, he is cautiously optimistic about what's going on in the House right now
2: yeah well you're going to get a good analysis from ben no matter what i mean he's a very deep thinker and ben and i get along very well we have a lot of a lot of discussions while we're down there and you know one of his areas of expertise of course is the budget so um when they go back i certainly hope they have the house no matter what happens and uh, i hope i see ben in leadership and finance co-chair because he would be the right uh great person for that. Just my opinion for what it's worth. Right. I will tell you another fascinating thing from last week that happened a lot for the confusion factor was a lot of people reached out and said, Hey, Mike, it was like, it was like, you know, you know, sayonara. It was like, appreciate all the work you've done great sorry you lost you know I'm like whoa whoa, whoa whoa, whoa, I didn't lose <laughs> it's like everybody's like you're gone you're done see you later and I'm like no 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 that's not how it works and so this is a primary and it's an open one and so guess what there's only two people in my race and so even if there was four we would all be going on to the general election in November I'm still here and they're like what and I'm like yes that's one of the changes so there's still a lot of confusion from people because they see it and all these different races, you know, mine was just one of them. And like, so, so I had to put some posts and talk about it. Mike didn't lose. There's no real loser. If there's four more people in this open primary, everybody moves on. So I thought that was kind of funny in a way. And the other, I think I said this last week, I can't remember, but I said the ironic twist of fate that makes me smile is that the system is designed, you know, for Murkowski and designed to, allegedly put more moderate voters in right and uh the the irony for me if this was the old system i would not be in the race anymore so right the right. choice voting for all of its issues which i'm pretty sure scott kendall and jason grin and alaskans for better election than the you know seven and a half million dollars of dark money they railed about so much was not intending to keep the most conservative senator in the state of alaska in the state senate in the race right which it did right so Thank you very much.
3: Golf clap. <laughs> G- Golf funny. clap. Have a nice. Oh, hey, look at that. We <laughs> lo- we love that. Um, no, now, <clears throat> the uh, the uh, election results, they got another raft of, of absentee ballots. And so they uh, they pulled those in um, here uh, yesterday. And we're seeing <laughs> that um, there was a little bit of movement on certain uh, on certain districts. We see that in your case. The numbers, though, remained almost statistic statistically the same. Uh, we saw the number of vote counts go up from twenty eight percent of voter turnout to thirty four and a half percent of voter turnout, but the numbers remain fairly static at this point. Fifty three percent for Massey, forty six percent for you, pretty much uh, across the board. Um, and we we talked about why that was last week, and of course the name recognition in this new area. Um, I mean, I was shocked and surprised to find out that you were my new that you were my senator. I had no idea, Um, which says something. I think if the average person is, you know, if I'm (laughs) engaged and I'm supposed to know that stuff, that the average person will be, you know, really shocked on that. Um, As you've looked at some of these new numbers coming out, uh, any thoughts on uh, any new thoughts from last week as you look at the new numbers for your seat and the various other seats that are out there being battled for right now?
2: Well, in mine, I've obviously paid the most attention to because I have to have a. A battle plan you know how to how to do this strategy wise and what we're going to do we talked about last week i mean you know part of it is just getting out and reaching you know people and talking to them i mean i i look at some places where you know we said 2020 2021 we didn't get out as much as we'd like to i mean that's on you know part of it's good people didn't want to meet i get that you know part of it's just being engaged having a chance to go meet and talk to people and be around so um you know i, I think personally i got to take some take some responsibility for that i have to right because uh one thing i don't think maybe i did enough of was was getting out and uh you know reaching people in the district and you know we got a big district it's a a hard district to be in because you know it's the size of west virginia and you know I've talked to people in Valdez. Well, Mike, we'd like to see you more. I said, I'd like to be here more. Problem is, <laughs> it's just about a five and a half hour drive one way. Right. You know, same, same distance, you know, another couple hours up to Delta. And then, you know, go up to, you know, um, past Healy on the other side. So it's just a big district. It's hard to be everywhere. And the cost of gas, you know, that, those are just, you know, complaints. Um, you know, of it's a big district. That's part of the job. You got to do that. Right. So I think part of it is getting out and, you know, Losing Delta Junction and Glen Allen, which was very conservative, um, and voted—I don't know—like eighty percent rate for me last time. That was a tough loss. It's is what it is. That's just that's how the lines went. But you know, being drawn into Massey's backyard—that's that's an issue for me, and and I have to do the work. I have to get out and and show people, um, you know, who I am. Get them to know my stances, my positions. There are significant policy differences between him and I you know, but I'll tell you, I mean, this is interesting. It's, it's a name, you know, he's got a name and he's relying on a name and I'm drawn into his backyard where he, you know, his family's been for half a century. And I'll give you a good example. One of the guys that's walked in praise with us this year, that him and his wife, very supportive. It was funny. We were talking, we had done some walking and going around a couple earlier or later last week. <laughs> we're sitting there and we're uh, at one of the bars here. We had dinner just to stop by and say, hi. And he's like, well, you know, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, you know, we were, you know, I remember Massey, he was a nice guy. I can see how people like him, you know, and he's like, like, he'd let us, he got stopped once or twice and he let us pour the beers out. And boys don't do that again. And he's like, you know, so I, I can see how people like him. Like, you do know that wasn't Doug, right? He said, no, 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 it was, it was Doug Massey. I'm like, um, dude, Doug's your age. And he would have been right out of high school with you in those years. And he was a wildlife trooper and not a blue shirt trooper. So it wasn't Doug Massey that was his dad. He's like, no, I'm. Like, I'm like, that was his dad. He's like, really? And I'm like, oh, good lord. And you think about it, and you go, this is the thing that you've realized, though, right? I mean, it is a name, and you have to overcome that name. And so, you know, as I've been walking, and we've been really starting to hit Big Lake and KGB that area because that's what's all new. Never been there, never represented it. They've had David Wilson for you know the better part of a decade and so what do people vote mike or they look at r or d a lot of people that's most voters right and they just vote down that ticket well guess what this time there's two r's and then they go to a name right they shower or massive well they don't know the shower they've heard the massey name all right fine he's a republican i'll vote for him i mean sometimes it's that simple for a right. lot of people and as i've been talking to people that's what i hear i've been going all through the district different parts of it that part of the district i should say in the last week hitting it really hard because that's now clear Most of the votes are down. It's in that part of the district because they don't know me. So that's our mission. You know, for the next 60 days, two months, we've got to hit that hard, walk in the neighborhoods, talking to businesses. And that's the consistent thing. People just go, oh, well, you're, oh, okay. And you get a chance to talk to them and and show the positions, talk about the differences between he and I. And you can win people over. But that's, I think, the challenge for me, Mike. And that's a long deep dive since you said we could free reign on it this morning, but I think that's a lot of it is name recognition, new district. Um, You know, I've got to do the work. I have to get out and and show that, you know, to people uh, and talk to them. That's just, that's what it is. I mean, that's politics, right? You got to knock, you got to do the work. Um, Still have to go to other parts of the district and talk to people and be there. Um, And that's all on me. That's, that's my job. So, you know, and we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's not, it's 500 something votes. I think, Mike it's not unwinnable no. by any stretch and no. I had to laugh because <laughs> it's, it's did you know did you know Mike that I've had a meltdown I've been melting down in the last week did you know that I, I hadn't heard I hadn't heard yeah I, all, all of these radio programs I've been on on radio which would have just been yours last Wednesday morning like we normally do but all of those radio programs and on Facebook which I had to go back and look at myself I could not believe all of the meltdown I was having on Facebook, I'm just so, I'm distraught and, and screaming like a, you know, just a, you know, petulant child about it. That was Jeff Landfield. <laughs> and he's like, showers having a meltdown on the radio and Facebook. Wow. And, and, uh, you know, it was like two whole sentences or three sentences, but I'm like, a meltdown? Really? Yeah. Well, wow. Geez. I'm like, drama much? I'm like, oh, yeah, I was like, he's losing. He's in trouble. Yeah, when he's having a meltdown. I'm like, all right, man, whatever, well,
3: dude. So Jeff
2: is the king of hyperbole at this point. I mean, <laughs> no. you know, just slack. Like, Jeff, have you? It, uh, it's a plethora, of Pepe. I'm like, I don't not think it means what you think it means, <laughs> Jeff. Exactly.
3: Um, <laughs> no, it's it's <laughs> pretty crazy. Well, I will. I mean, I will applaud your your strategy of going out through the KGB area because what most people don't understand is, I mean, I live out here, so I kind of have a little bit of an understanding of it. This is one of the most densely populated areas um, in the state. I mean, there's a reason why Canuckoos Bay Road is one of the deadliest roads is because it has such a dense uh, concentration of people on this one single road. A lot of them are commuting, you know, into Anchorage. This is a bedroom community of Anchorage. And and so you've got, you know, 25 or 30,000 cars a day on there. So there's a huge chunk of people here. 500 votes in the long run. If you look at the number of people who are in this district, 500 votes is not much. Um, and so while the numbers may look, you know, a uh, uh, bad on paper, again, just the reminder that this is uh, that this is, you know, this is just a, a, a poll, basically, or a snapshot. When you're talking about the difference of 500, 600 votes out of an area that's got 30 or 40,000 people in it, that's, you know, that's not a significant amount in the long run. It's something that definitely could be overcome.
2: Well, I'm. Um- of course i mean that's the the whole thing right mike i mean you gotta look at this and from a statistical dead heat you know perspective which is kind of where we're at on this one but like i said i mean you go back to if you go to the you know look at the numbers most of the district um we were either pretty much just about tied or i was ahead most of the district right um with the exception of like, you know, downtown Talkeetna and, and Valdez, but we already knew that they're not, uh, they're not conservative bastions. So, um, but where was I behind? Where am I? where 90% or so of the votes that I'm behind. Big Lake KGB. Yeah. I go back to, you know, they don't know me, never representative. A lot of them haven't heard my name, but they've heard the Vassy name, probably not Doug Massey. They've heard, you know, Dallas Massey or mom who's owns a, you know, uh, hair salon down there for many many decades so of course a lot of people and you know massey last year bought a bar down kgb so it's a name and it's a recognition and that's that is a political thing right i mean that's what people will vote for and that's not a that's not an assessment on anything other than that's just human nature right? right so i have to overcome that that's my job to do that and i i'm i'm the one that has to do that so of course i mean it could use help <laughs> been talking to people you know and that's part of what we didn't know until you see the primary numbers uh you know not so like we were sitting around doing nothing we've been all over the place in the district but now focusing on big like and kgb is something that we're going to have to do because yeah. that's the that's the area where we're down the votes because of primarily name recognition right it's just different and i've had a lot of conversations with people i've been talking to i mean i've been there a lot in the last week i mean that's becoming a focus walking neighborhoods and going to businesses and whatnot and like i said most people are like well Oh, okay. So who are you again? That's that's what it is, right? right. And you have to explain it, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, it was David Wilson. You know, we. And some people said, well, if I knew it was you, you know, because some people that have heard or you know they have some indication of things been going on the last couple of years. You know, it's a couple of people to talk to. Well, I was supporting him because it was it was uh, you know I, I wanted somebody different, than David Wilson. And so there's things like that that take place too. But Mike, it, bottom line is just work. You have to do the work. You have to get out and I have to overcome something. I mean, this is not, you know, there's areas of the district that I won, you know, some of them fairly well, um, and that's because they knew me, right? Right. And right. so Massey would have that same problem. He has to, you know, have name recognition too, because outside the valley, which is where he spent almost his entire 25 years as a state employee, um, well, that's a, that's a different problem, right? He's got to right. get to other places that I've been that he hasn't. So yeah, right. that's what it is. It's part of the game.
3: Uh, but- all right, hold the line. Mike Schauer, our guest, uh, GOP state senator for District E, now soon to be District O. We'll return with him in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, we're in the break right now. Uh Mike Shower is our guest. Uh somebody who is asking in the chat room. Uh Mike Shower dot com is his website if you wanna go over there and you wanna donate, you wanna volunteer, uh you wanna whatever. I saw that somebody I think Jonathan said that he his wife had my wife has called her. Call her back. She wants to volunteer. He said, "We were in your district, Mike, and they took us away from you." <laughs> so, I mean, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Apparently, because he, they he took does. they took him away from Jonathan and gave him to me. So that's uh, that's uh, where we're at. Um, <clears throat> let me. So we'll
2: talk about that. Michelle Michelle always tracks. You know, she's watching and right. He's like, you know, message. You know, you got to get out the message and what you're doing and help. And so, I'll do that in the radio right here in a second. But that's that's the thing. You know, I Mike, I'm on Facebook and some people messaging, and and I will tell you flat out, you know, like some people say, well, I need a sign. Where yet? You, you know, I'm I'm in Glen Allen. I'm like, well, it won't be there in 30 minutes. So, that, right, right. I have to plan that to drive because that's about a five hour round trip. You know, just to go there, and you know, probably about hundred dollars in gas. <laughs> Or right, more right um, these days, and the other last week we went to Trapper Creek Community Council. Well, we didn't realize that they had kind of canceled it last minute, you know. And that was a four-hour round-trip drive <laughs> to go to Trapper Creek to uh, to do nothing in that sense. So it's like, ow, um, yeah, you ow. know, just from the, the cost of doing things. So I mean, you look at it right there. I mean, that's nine hours of driving, and that's not that's not even halfway through either side of the district. On a, on the other side, right? So, and again, that's just you know people go well, shut up, Mike. That's your job. I get it. I understand that. I'm just saying that's the problem of somebody says, well, hey, I'd like to have a sign or like to do something. Well, I can't. I can't just get there. You know, like if I was downtown while or Palmer, like the two other senators here, I mean, lucky them, you know, somebody says, Hey, I need to sign. All right. I can be there in 15 minutes, you know, because it takes about 20 minutes to drive across their district. So right, right. it's a little bit more of a daunting challenge. I have to plan to go places and I'll be there for a day or two. And that's, you know i may not be there again for weeks because right. that's you know then i have to do it on the other side of the district you know so right. well
3: when you got a um, district that the size you got a district that's the size of Rhode Island it's not surprising that you
2: have actually to... Rhode Island is small it's yeah. actually west it's west virginia west
3: virginia okay all right it probably looks like <laughs> i wish west i had virginia. what the yeah.
2: size of Rhode Island that'd be great
3: right exactly so um, but if folks want to find out more and stuff they can go to your website and they can donate money and they can uh, um, and they can get signs and do all that kind of stuff right
2: yeah. So that's the thing, you know, I think we'll talk about next, Mike, for this is that, you know, when you look at the comments and others and say, here's the deal, um, you know, I have MikeShower.com, you know, we had to buy the website, you got to buy your name these days, right? So that's the website people can go to that's got donate, volunteer, what I stand for, you know, uh, dates of places I'll be, endorsements, all those kind of things. So MikeShower.com, that's one. Um, people can reach out on Facebook as I have the Mike Shower for Senate page. I still have some people reaching out on the state senator page and I just have to redirect them to the other ones. I can't, it's not appropriate ethically to talk about it there, but I have, you know, like 4,000 people about following. So, you know, it'd be nice if I could do that, but you know, some people still reach out because just don't know and that's fine. But we'll talk next Mike about what, you know, the things I need, you know, donations are nice. I'm, I'm self-funding as much as I can, but there's a limit to, you know, I still have a family to, you know, pay for a house, but um donations are nice but what i need more than anything really it's mike you need that small army right you need the manpower right i need people to help you know put out signs talk to your friends and neighbors and coworkers. you know spread it on your social circles and maybe share videos and stuff about me on, on your own facebook or instagram or whatever and knocking doors on neighborhoods that kind of stuff that's really what's going to help me i think get over the hump is talk about the message what do i stand for what have I done? Because I have a record, right? And what I'm planning on doing and then convincing people and saying, hey, no, Mike's the guy. You know, I know there's two Republicans, but here's the positions and the differences and why we think Mike is the better fit for going back, you know, to Juno. So we'll talk right. about that. mean, I know we're going to ding here in a minute probably, but we can take that to the uh, radio next. But I think that's the important thing is to help you. Look, I need two things. I need some help, you know, financially to to be able to saturate and flyers and all the stuff that comes with you know, that, doing that, but also that, that small army that helps you get out the message and and uh, help show people why I'm the right guy. I think that's the two big things from a, from a people perspective.
3: Yeah, see, you can't hear the ding because you're on the phone. That's how it works. But we just dinged. Oh, we just dinged.
2: See, I knew it. Internal clock.
3: There you go. We just dinged. We're ready to go, folks. Uh, we're going to jump back into it. If you can, please share this show. No matter what platform you're on, you can share it. And then like and subscribe. Ring the bell. Here we go. Okay, we're back, uh, ready to dive back into it with State Senator Mike Schauer. It's what we lovingly call the Shower Hour of Power, where he comes in and riffs about anything that's going on since he's running for re-election. We've been focused on that right now. Um, And and just so you know, uh, because I've talked about this before, but I want to say in the effort of transparency, I've reached out to the Massey campaign, both on the email address they had listed on the state's website, which bounced back. Um, and on the contact page On their website as well Requesting an interview I've done that twice And if still not heard back From Doug Massey I'd love to have him On the program To ask him some sp- Specific questions About the PFD And other things uh, Just so that In case people are like Well I, I want to hear From the other guy Well so would I I would love to hear From the other guy as well So if anybody knows Doug And can poke him And say hey You guys should really Reply to your email To the Michael Duke show I'd love to hear What he has to say uh, Mike Shower Is our guest now joining us again uh and we were just talking about uh well mike wanted to talk about some stuff so let's just go back to it mike
2: uh you wanted to talk <laughs> a little bit more about stuff and things go ahead stuff and things i got a good internal clock don't i I mean I, yeah, it's I, not I bad getting it down after it only took five years
3: i know really All i right. just I gotta beat you down and and, and mute you <sighs> sometimes but that's okay so what uh anyway let's continue here
2: so I will tell you this. I know that uh, Mayor Edmonds of Rees has her school of government, and I know she's asked, I believe, twice if Massey would come in and have a debate. And I told her I would gladly do it. I think it's an important thing. Not not worried about that at all. But she said he's been um, unavailable, or you know. Busy or something but uh, so far and i did ask her last week i said look at, and i said if you want to ask him again i think it's important people see the differences have us sit down and have that free reigning debate you know not not loaded questions you know that you can only answer one way or put a paddle up with a yes or no but you know let people ask hard questions and i think that's important i do and i've offered it again we'll see if he'll, if he'll take that but um you know i think there's the chance to ask those hard questions like you know okay or do you support the PFD? that's not the right question to ask, right? It's like, which PFD do you support? Because there's a big difference between us. Look at his website. It says right on there. It says, I support a PFD basically the state can afford. Well, I know what that means. That means a PFD that's left over. I mean, there's things like that, um, that are things people should know about both of us, where we stand And, and that's every race. That's not just this one. People need, and we've talked about this on the program. People need to learn to ask the right questions. So that they can get a good answer, because if you just ask a politician, especially one that doesn't support the full PFD following the law and say, do you support the PFD? They'll say yes without question. They won't tell you yes on which PFD to support, Right. but you have to know how to ask the question on many things. What do you? What's this? Will you join a binding caucus? Yes or no. Will you join a bipartisan coalition with the Democrats like a lot of Republicans have do? Yes or no. And some of these, I'm saying some of these, Mike, because some of these questions have been asked Right. not solid answers. Okay. Right. Well,
3: what is it sure. like? For example, what is a sustainable dividend? I support a sustainable dividend. What exactly? What does that mean? What does the word sustainable mean to you in this context? Uh, well, I mean, tell it's, you what it
2: means. It, it means after the state is fully funded, exactly. For, um, right. That then, what's left over goes the people because that's right. that's what that means. And in right. execution and operation that's what that means so that's exactly how von Imhoff and steven and others talk about the pft so just but you know somebody works for the state for 25 years that's probably their position i don't know you know that's just that's where their you know position is going to be on the issue so but the, my point to that mike is not to get anchored on that from somebody else it's the point of as i've said many times on the program over the last couple of years people Because we've already gone through an election cycle where I was the incumbent but was not running in 2020. And I try to tell people that ask the candidates the right question. You must learn to do that. A politician can be really good at spinning the answer so that they can say and do whatever they want ultimately without being held accountable because they can say, well, no, that's not what I said. So unless you know how to ask the very specific question and demand a specific answer, um to it especially more of the yes or no ones are important like you know will you join a binding caucus or bipartisan those are yes or no those are not and i've sat and watched it my well i have to look and see who's i have to you know make a decision i have no you don't these are easy answers those are like you know yes or no's. there are some legitimately that you can't answer yes or no that's sometimes why i hate the battles because they ask you a more complicated question that you would have to see what the you know certain things are you know, um before you would vote yes or no. I grant that. You can't always answer everything yes and no, but there's ways to ask questions to specifically get, you know, the answer that um from a politician that's not a spinnable answer. So that's one. But let's let's move on. So where you know how can you reach me? I said at shower.com I have I had by my name in the website because that's easy for people. So shower.com you just type that in And uh, like DuckDuckGo or, you know, I think Google was suppressing it. We're looking to enhance that. That was something we found out. I was like, huh, would you look at that? Yeah. Um, that, you know, you can't type that into Google. Strange that a conservative uh, Republican would have a hard time having their name in there unless they spent money on it. So, uh, but you can go to Mike shower.com. I'm on Facebook. I think it's linked into Instagram, you know, Mike shower for Senate. so those are ways you can reach out trying to stay ahead of that one when people, you know, ask questions or get on there. And of course it's got a phone number, um, that you can call. We have a phone for that, for the campaign and it's got email and all that stuff, but we're, where do I stand Mike on stuff? So love to have people reach out and help. It actually has a volunteer, uh, button on it on Mike when you go to it and you can click that and you can fill stuff out and go, I'd like yard sign, or I'd like to volunteer or or walk with you or, you know, whatever. And you can reach out that way so we can put it, we're we're building a list, right. Of Mm -hmm. that small, um, core group of volunteers that have time and are willing to help you do things. And they matter, Mike. I mean, last, When I ran 2018, we had that. We had about maybe a core group of a dozen people, and they were there a lot. Um, And they helped walk neighborhoods and knock on doors and make text and phone calls. And that was a big deal because then you have people you can rely on and say, hey, you know, over the next, uh, you know, two weeks, here's our plan. We're going to walk these neighborhoods at this time, you know, and they'd be like a couple, you know, six of them would show up. So it gives you a chance to, you know, get coverage and and get the word out. Because doing it by yourself, you know, trying to cover, you know, 15,000 homes. You know that's a that's an impossibility, especially in our district where it's so spread out. A lot of the districts, like you got to walk a neighborhood, drive a mile, walk another right. neighborhood, drive a mile. I mean, that's kind of where a lot of the district is. That's just the reality of it's Alaska, man. That's how that's how it is. But so, where do we stand? What are we going to do? Most of you on this program, at least, already know the record I have. I've been a proponent of the statutory PFD and following the law. Um, to put it in context, because it's often taken into context. Yes. I said I would support a 50-50 of the current POMB draw if and only if it was put into the Constitution and protected so we can't touch it moving forward, and it had to be tied to a change of the constitutional spending gap. Right. To be clear, because people have represented that in the last week, and I've had to call a few of them. One of them lives right here in my neighborhood, and I'm a friend, and I knew him long before politics. We had to sit and talk about it. I said, dude, stop saying that I got what I wanted, because what I want is a comprehensive fiscal plan that solves our problem a just 50 50 pfd you know where i stand that mike i've been clear no deal right, exactly if this constitutional spending cap that prevents us from overspending moving forward no deal all taxes by itself with nothing yeah. no deal these, i'm not i might as well you know raise taxes without the spending cap i might as well burn the money come on guys and these are all compo- these are all components of the fiscal policy working with group plan that you put policy together working right. group. Yeah. correct and so i can make some compromises on those but i've also told people i said i you know you and i've talked about the constitutional convention. And I'm going back to the Bill Clinton campaign in 92. You know, it's the economy, stupid, honestly. And trying to listen to people, the biggest thing I'm hearing from folks is the economy and jobs and the price of goods, inflation, food, fuel, et cetera. That's what I'm hearing, Mike. And that's something I need to be responding to because we're talking about about constitutional convention and binding caucus and these other things. You know, that doesn't mean much to people when they can't afford to live in their house or they can't afford to buy food and fuel because the price of things or their racking up their credit card i hear a lot about heating fuel and wood for the winter coming up people are, are concerned not having the, the statutory pfd plus what we had that left the senate has really bothered a lot of people and i look right up and say i'm sorry guys i did everything within my power you know to to follow the law and you know the statutory pfd and the amendment i put in it did pass the house stripped it down and we've talked enough about that so i'm not going to circle back on it but that bothers me a lot that's 2300 a person that should have come out of that legislative building to help people get through and you know that's you know sixty four hundred dollars for a couple that's not bad you know for two people thirty two hundred, but it's not statutory it's not the law you know imagine what that would have done for people you know so eleven thousand dollars instead of sixty four hundred that's a lot of money for some people that's more than you know an entire month's income you know uh, and then some to to help them get by so that's the biggest things i'm hearing about and you know so inflation helping people using our own money do it Um, that's a big deal. And, of course, that's going to take us all the way into next year now in the next legislative session. But you guys know where I stand on that. Comprehensive fiscal policy that solves our problem, tries to put us on autopilot. I want to start building things, Mike. I've said that this whole time. A new refinery, looking at small nuclear for cheap energy. Um, I went up toward Usabelli Mine, you know, a couple weeks ago. Clean coal that's already providing, you know, cheap power that we have 473 years of reserves that they know about you know, for just that one area, you know, mining stuff, um, you know, if we build a gas line, fine, as long as China's not financing it, right? Um, There's a lot of things like that, but, you know, back to the basics, you know, what are we going to do? I'm hearing a lot about roads. You know, we need roads and we have money and infrastructure right now. So that's something we should be focused on while we have extra money, which is why we added the half a billion to the capital because we're able to do it this year without deficit spending and we're a decade behind. So, you know, election integrity. Mike, that's at the top of my list, too. I still hear about that. That is the one thing I will tell you. I don't hear anything about, you know, judicial reform I was working on or very little, almost no talk about constitutional convention Other than people still concerned, you know, the risk of it, because that's the, the biggest message that's being put out there with the money and those that oppose it, because they've got lots of money to oppose it. But, you know, um... I will tell you that election integrity, I still hear about a lot of people are concerned, you know, about, you know, even looking at the last Mike, how are you losing? You know, you shouldn't be losing. Well, you know, there's some reasons for that. So we talked about it. But I think those are the big things, Mike. It's the economy. It's putting the state on autopilot for how we budget. It's balancing the budget. Election integrity, I still think matters. I'm still going to work on those issues. I'm still going to work on judicial reform. None of that's going to change. But I think that there are some basics we should be focusing on because I think that's what matters to the people right now. And, you know, when you are trying to survive, um, you know, this concept of how we, you know, uh, choose our judges, not so important to you. So that's right. something I have to listen well, to, and quite frankly, we all should be listening. It
3: goes back to it's the economy, stupid, right? I mean, there are other important issues. Don't get me wrong, but the economy is definitely number one in uh, in the whole shooting match here. All right, uh, hold the line, Mike. Showers our guest when we get back. He wrote an article for Must Read back in June, which we or July, which we really never got into. And uh, I think it's appropriate time to bring it up now. Why Alaskans should want a citizen legislature? We will. Uh, talk with that, uh, talk with Mike Shower about that here in just a moment. It is the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return to more right after this. Well, I don't know why the whole system just got a mind of its own there for a second. Decided to blast my eardrums out, but uh, there you go. Uh, we're in the break right now. State Senator Mike Shower is our guest, and so we're going to continue with him here in just a second. I'm going to test the. Uh, I'm going to test the music again because that almost caused my nose to bleed. That was so loud. I don't know why it just all arbitrarily ignored the volume control, but uh, we'll uh, we'll see if we can. Uh, let me see if I can do. Yep, no, it worked fine there. Okay. So, uh, arbitrarily, just decided. Uh, Mike Showers, our guest. Mike, let me go back to the chat room. I saw a couple of questions, and I think um, this was an interesting one. Let me go back here. Um, and because so, somebody was asking as a resident of Trapper Creek, they wanted to know more about the. Uh, here we go. <clears throat> JP. Um, uh, no, it was uh, oh. JP, uh, Paula, uh, Paula Glenka, question for Mike Showers. Uh, uh, that I'm, he's a uh, question for Mike Showers. Did Trapper Creek Community Council know that you were attending their meeting? Had they known, perhaps they would have not canceled. Just a question from a concerned Trapper Creek resident. And so I guess that's a question for you. Did they know you were coming? Was that part of the deal? You just didn't get the notification? What?
2: No, they, um, Mike, we try to go to as many as we can, but I think we have, we've got a couple dozen in the district. And of course, some of them, like I said, are pretty far out there um you know we're centrally located you know in the middle of the valley on the north side so it's like i said it's five six hours either direction you know for us it's about two hours you know one way to trapper creek so we just go based on when they put it out and and i talked to you know to answer her question um uh I don't know if they knew specifically because my staff will reach out. I have one staff that lives in district and she'll go to anything that if I happen to be gone or, you know, like if we were, might be in session or other things happen and she'll go anyways uh, to try to cover them. But even then, a lot of them end up on the same night, of course. Um, and then you got multiples like that very night. She wasn't doing the Houston uh, Community Council and we were on our way to Trapper Creek and. That was a logical one because, well, Trapper Creek, uh, it's harder to get to farther distance. So I would try to, to cover all of them at least a couple times a year in person if I can get there or I'm around. Uh, because, you know, then of course, job and other stuff too, and, and multiples. And so I was going to be Houston Founders Day on Saturday. they were We were there all night. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll see them on Saturday. So, but when I got there, um, I went ahead and called the uh, Trapper Creek president, uh, or community council president, and we chatted for a while because there was a list of issues, and we went through those. But um, he's like, you know, they just ran out of, they just, people, I mean, right, people have lives and jobs, even on community councils, and they were having to shorthand a lot of work stuff, and they just couldn't get a quorum. So no biggie. You know, we once we got to the community center there and realized that there was nobody there, we like, oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> there's a there's half a tanky diesel you know well price been doing business but we uh um we just turned around i called him on the phone and we chatted about it and listened to what was going on and we'll try to catch the next one you know if he can be here or around or there's not another one to try to get to because that's the same thing right i go back to people like mike you need to be here i'm like i know But I needed to be in Trapper Creek as opposed to, you know, Glen Allen for this one, you know, kind of a thing. So you can't just go run around and hit them all in one night. They're just too far spread out, um, you know, because all these towns have them. It was funny. I was talking to a guy yesterday and, you know, I was going down to a a meeting they had yesterday in Big Lake. But, you know, when he's like, well, we'll be at the family diner. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, I'm like, wh- which family diner is that, you know, cause it's the one in Wasilla. He's like, no, it's the one at Big Lake, you know, you need to know the district. I'm like, well, no, I understand that. I said, but I have, there's like a dozen family diners in my district. When somebody says the family diner, it could be this one or that one. or that, Everybody says in their local community, the family diner. Yeah, I get that, but it does. Right. <laughs> there's, there's like three or four of them just in this radius I'm talking about. When somebody says the family diner, I'm like, sorry, dude, but I need to know which one you I need, need to need. know
3: specifically, yeah. Which we, location which one is, is which, that yeah. family
2: diner, right? It's like the local bank. Yeah. Like, OK, which one? Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> uh, we're down. Look, we're down to 90 seconds. But I want to touch on this real quick. I know because you were big on, uh, you know, your election reform and everything else. And now you've seen this lawsuit about ballot curing. Um, and I know that there's no provision in state law specifically for ballot curing. But uh, is this something that is going to require legislative intervention? Or is this something that I can do as a division of election director where she can institute something like other states or the city of Anchorage has?
2: Well, believe it or not, Mike, as as up as I try to be on the issues, I have been so busy putting up signs, walking neighborhoods, and, and talking to local businesses um, in the last week that I have not actually kept up with the news. So you're going to have to tell me for once what the heck is this lawsuit on ballot carrying? I don't know. Oh, I haven't even looked at my computer for five days. Oh, yeah. The,
3: the ACLU and, uh, Perkins Coy and, uh, native something. Anyway, they filed a lawsuit about ballot hearing and said that they demand that there be a ballot hearing measure or provision, uh, for the November election. They're asking the courts to intervene.
2: So You know why they're doing that? Because well, they know very good and well that, um, and I've told you here: Democrats, liberals, progressives vote two to one, mail in and, and absentee. Yeah, and and conservatives vote two to one. Generally speaking, generally, um, uh, in person, and so they know that that's going to hurt them. I've I've talked about that. I right. said you're the ones that put this system in. Okay, of what's going on with the rest of it? Ding ding. We'll talk on talk on the radio.
3: Ding okay. ding. We gotta go. All right, uh, back with more of the Michael Duke Show: Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Here we go. Like and share. All right. uh, We're returning now. Continuing. Mike Schauer is our guest. One final segment uh, before we get into this article that he wrote for Must Read here back in July which I think is important to to talk about now, citizen legislators. Um, I was just talking with him about the uh, lawsuit that we talked about earlier in the program this morning. There's a new lawsuit from ACLU and a variety of other uh, organizations, including the Native American Rights Funds and Perkins Coy, uh, who are representing the League of Women Voters and the Arctic Village Council about the ballot curing process, that there is no ballot curing process in the state. And uh, FNUMI, I made that announcement during, I think, the initial – during the initial announcement for the special mail-in election that there was no provision and my question to mike was is that something that's going to require legislative action or can it be can it be done administratively or through regular you know some kind of regulatory scheme uh he wasn't sure but uh he wanted to comment on it before we get to his article there mike uh, your thoughts on this I,
2: i can tell you flat out um it requires legislation because it requires money it requires appropriation for this to happen and it's going to take a change in the law. Guess what, Mike? In another twist of irony, had the ACLU and the Anchorage Daily News and a host of liberals and, and big union leaders and others not lambasted me for two years and blasted me for my election bill and actually supported us? Do you know what was included in my bill? Ballet Would you hearing. like to take a guess? Ballot curing. Ballot hearing. Yeah. You know what was in the bill that Chris Tuck and I had to work on bipartisan and step away from the the further right and further left provisions because neither body would pass the other one and people still gave me grief over and then I was getting grief from people on the right you caved I'm like you're right I should do nothing I should take take my toys go to my sandbox and just sit there and play like some people do and do absolutely nothing but we agreed on the provisions of military. Would you like to know what was in that bill? That bipartisan <laughs> bill, Mike. Ballot curing, yeah. Why and do you it hate? Was a few well, other
3: look, Mike. Why do you hate people? Why do you hate the poor? Why do you <laughs> why hate? You hate why, why do you hate minorities? Why do you hate, <laughs> <everybody>? <laughs> why do you
2: hate everybody? I mean, that's right. Mike, it was something that I thought that look, even conservatives, some of them vote, senior citizens, military, and others would like the opportunity when they do use a absentee ballot or mail-in ballot, if they made a mistake, especially ranked choice voting, which was one of the key things we knew going into this, was that you would like a chance for people that are going to do that to cure their ballot because there's going to be a lot of mistakes made. Right, As we had multiple committee hearings in state affairs over this, right? We knew that we were going to have a high rejection rate because that comes with ranked choice voting. Thank right. you very much, Alaskans, for better elections. Right. The nationwide data is crystal clear. So you're going to toss out a whole bunch of people's ballots because they're going to make mistakes. If you don't have a provision to cure those ballots and give people a chance to fix it, you're going to toss their ballot. Right. Well, guess what, brother? Because they would not help us do that because they lambasted us because people made you know very nasty comments back and forth about it. You don't have ballot curing. So Alaskans for Better Elections, Scott Kendall, Jason Grin, and all the rest of you, you get what you voted for or didn't vote for. And in this case, you don't have ballot curing. And Gil Fanami is 100% correct. There is no provision. It takes a change in the law, and it takes money. None of that was appropriated. None of that was done. Thank you very little. So, and this one, I have no sympathy for him because I tried. And we got it to almost to the finish line. But guess what? You can talk to the finance co-chairs in the Senate, Mike, because the bill that would have helped us finish this up that chris tuck and i could emerge at the end they stopped it right. two weeks from the end of the session they stopped it and they would not well, hear it again they es- couldn't move it through
3: especially so. after we heard from experts on ranked choice voting like fred van Bennekom and others that talked about the tremendous amount of uh of uh you know basically discarded ballots you know 12 14 primarily hitting the elderly minorities and the poor the poor there's segment. four categories
2: yeah the elderly it is minorities, it is English as a second language, and it's those with less than a high school education. Those four groups get disenfranchised sometimes in some rank choice events that he reported on or studied as high as 30 percent. 30 percent, Mike. Think about that number. You toss out 30 percent of a minority group's ballots, and you're going to tell me that's an okay system? You want to talk about you know suppression of somebody's votes, a group of votes? I can't think of a of a worse scheme than yeah, ranked choice voting. Absolutely. That's in the data, my yeah. friend. That's not hearsay. That's data.
3: Let's uh, let's get down to um, um, let's get down to the story that you talked about because I think this is important. You and I have talked about this off air before, and uh, the importance of a citizen legislature, and that it is a sacrifice for many who are still working a job and doing other things. And not that you're complaining, but people have to understand the difference between a legislature that's filled with people who are basically retirees or independently wealthy, which is a lot of what we see, versus people who have you know day jobs and are still supporting their family, still trying to build their retirement. Um, uh, let's talk about this quickly here. we got about six,
2: seven minutes. Yeah, it won't take too long. I mean, look, some people ask, Mike, there are, you know, some people are, uh, you know, trying to make light of the fact, well, you know, I'm retired, so I can do a better job. I can be there all the time. Or, you know, maybe you have somebody that's very, very wealthy, per se, that can just, you know, afford to be a politician and part of the political class. That's what we create. And it's what I was trying to tell people. And a couple people suggested you ought to write an article, Mike. So you talk about it. You ought to put it out for people to see so they can read it. And discuss why you would want a citizen legislature, why it's so critical. It's really, quite frankly, Mike, you go back and read some of the founding fathers of the nation. They discuss that, right? You should be in the farm fields working and having to do and toil, right, and survive like everybody else. And then you go to Washington, D.C., you know, in the Capitol or state capital, and you do your legislative thing. But in your mind, is knowing that, you know, one, you have to go back into that economy that you're going to affect with your policies, laws, taxes, et cetera, but you're also having to talk to your neighbors and your coworkers and find out what's going on, the struggles. And I write about that, right? I mean, a wealthy person, a retired person that doesn't have to go do that, that's in a certain financial situation, or, you know, is able to just hang out in the political bubble in Juneau and be influenced by big union leaders that comes through and, you know, special interests and nonprofits all the time, that kind of stuff, well, you start to get a certain mindset. But when you know that you have to go back when the session's over and work in the economy that you directly affect with your policies, that you have to go back and talk to your coworkers and your neighbors and friends and be involved in that, and it affects you directly and your family, well, that makes a difference, right? How you legislate, how you govern can be directly affected by what you what your bubble is, right? If it's if you're just wealthy, you've got one set of concerns. A lot of it's probably going to be, I don't want to be taxed. I want to protect my family. Well, if you're retired, you have another set of concerns, but that group of legislators in a citizen legislature that must go back and still has to work for X amount of years in their life and has to be a part of that system, right? The average worker, most blue collar Americans, et cetera, that have to work every day and survive. It flavors your view of the world and what's happening. It keeps you very connected. Um, and it keeps you, I think, out of that becoming a political elite, right? I mean, we have a political elite in this nation, there's no doubt. And we have a political class. And those are the ones that, you know, a lot of them are the ones that go to D.C., right? I mean, they sit there and they become a political class. Many of them serve for the better part of their lives. We have two prime examples of that in the state, Ted Stevens and Don Young. They serve for most of their life in Washington, D.C., And so it's very easy to become a career politician. And I think that a citizen legislature, as I wrote about in the article, it makes it very clear. A lot of legislators that are citizen legislators and still have to work, many of them don't do this for too long, Mike, because it hurts. It hurts financially um, and it hurts time with your family. And so a lot of stress and extra pressure put on you from trying to step up and serve. And after a while, a lot of them just go, you know what? I can't do both forever. And I think that's important. It's kind of, it helps impose those term limits we talk about, right? I mean, we should have, term limits it's, should be the people. It's, right?
3: self, it's self-imposed term limits at that point right. because you realize you, you can't afford to keep doing it.
2: Correct. It puts those after a while. And I, I and I know this from talking to people, Mike, some they got us said, man, I just, I had to go back to work. I had to go make money, take care of my family. It's too much stress and I can't afford to be gone four or five, six months, you know, out of the year with special sessions, which has been a lot of the norm in the last, you know, decade or so. So it just, it's really hard. That's okay. It's part of, you know, I write and write in their article. People ask all the time and they do. And I said, it's a challenge. It's tough, um, but it keeps me grounded and I know it keeps others grounded. And there's only so long you can afford to do that. And, you know, frankly, I've told you here, Mike said, if I gave up my my real job, you know, and I say real job in the sense of the one that actually pays the bills all year long, you know, I couldn't afford to be just a legislator. I would have to do something else at this position in life. I'm in my high earning years and it hurts. But that's service, right? That when you think about it, Mike, that's public service. Being a public servant, right. I shouldn't be making money off of this. I shouldn't be in a political class that's disconnected from the citizens that I that I serve and those that I work with. So I wrote that article to respond to some of the things that are being said by people about who should be serving, you know, and 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 that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I think it's important people remember that. Right. And think about who you want serving you, and I think you want it, look having some wealthy. And having some retired, there are. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's good to be represented, all groups. But it's also very important, I believe, that we have people that are working class Alaskans that are serving in the legislature that are right. not disconnected from well, the economy and the people.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, you say it right here at the end of the thing. Can you imagine an Alaskan legislature under the, under the control of just retirees or the wealthy? And that's kind of the direction that we're moving more and more is you either have to be independently wealthy or you have to be retired to be able to take the five or six months that it has to do. Otherwise, you couldn't afford to stay in it. And I think that's by design at this point to keep the common working guy uh, kind of out of the or gal out of the legislature. For that reason. Wrap up here, Mike, about 35 seconds.
2: Oh, maybe we'll talk next week. I mean, we'll keep going, Mike. I mean, we're going to talk no matter what. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, I'm either going to win or lose, right? There's only two options. And, you know, if I win, great, we go back, we keep working on those issues, try to make a difference, and hopefully hold the Senate. You know, if I don't go back, I'll still talk in the radio program. Why right? you got Brad and others that come on? I'm happy to do it. And, you know, I'll go back to living and, and stay involved. I mean, that's that's life. So we're going to do our best to duke it out. And uh, I'm fully committed to this. And I want people to know that because it's still up here. Are you really committed, Mike? Yep. I mean, I've had some people call and ask him. yeah, yes, yep. it never <laughs> Absolutely. wasn't. But we are fully committed. My- we're in it, brother. So we'll keep talking.
3: Mike Schauer. Thank you so much, folks. We're out of time. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. We'll see you tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show. All right, final bite at the apple here, Shower. Jeez, man, 35 seconds is the longest 35 seconds you've ever had. Um, It is not. You said
2: that to me like a thousand times. When
3: I say, like, when I have like 60, I tell you 30, and then we might come in under the wire. All right. um,
2: See, see, you've learned. You know how to play the game.
3: Exactly. Uh, I jacked the price up before I sell it at a deep discount. That's what I do. Okay. um, Final thoughts here, Mike
2: (laughs) Mike Shower, on the way out the door here. Oh, I don't know, Mike. I think we've said all that we need to say this week. I mean, we're good, brother. Just, you know, we've got a battle plan. We know where we're uh, down and what we need to do. So now it's just a matter of executing, and and then we'll see where the chips fall. It will be up to the people, and uh, we'll make our pitch. They'll make their decision, and then uh, you and I will be talking somewhere in the middle of November about what's next. You know, we're yeah. heading back to the uh, wonderfully sunny, dry, and uh, tropical <laughs> climate of Juneau for four months. <laughs> Or, or going somewhere else
3: the terrarium you know? <laughs> the terrarium that is juno at this point its own is little so bubble we
2: will we uh, will do that or we will move on to the next phase of life and and do what we can you know and michelle and i have other plans too if it doesn't work out mike it's fine i told you we'll we're going to stay engaged right you know we may be looking at things we can do to help other people run it. right that's how it goes I, I still do that now right you know or you know life's not over my friend i mean it is uh um you know no matter where you are in life you know you're you're not in politics forever. And, you know, if the people do choose somebody else, Mike, that's term limits, right? That is the way it's supposed to work anyways. Exactly. I'm okay with that. So, you know, Hey brother, we'll fight the fight. There's lots of things for you and I to do um, whether we're in office or not, because there's a lot that's going on in this nation. And uh, there's, you know, a thousand battlefronts in front of us to save this nation for our kids and our grandkids. And as you and I have talked about many times, my friend, that's why Michelle and her are stepping in the gap. Yeah. It ain't about us. It's about what we're leaving for our kids and our grandkids. That's what matters to us.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Sandy in the chat room says, why don't you help Mike and have Massey on? Uh, as I said earlier, I've reached out to his campaign a couple times, three times, four, whatever it is, uh, including his official email that's on the state website which goes nowhere bounces right back so i've tried so if any if you know sandy if you know massey or if anybody knows doug massey and uh wants to invite him on the program the door is always open uh so you're it's always open to come on here i would love to i have some questions let me just say that i have some questions about that so i would love to uh, hear about that mike shower thanks buddy appreciate it um Keep up the fight, keep up the good work, and uh, we'll see where we come uh, here as we get closer to November.
2: All right, my friend. And we'll talk to you next Wednesday morning, as usual. Okay, good. We're on for next Wednesday. And uh, maybe we'll Don't forget this time. but not leave me hanging.
3: Uh, no, I'm not going to leave you hanging. Just bring your video yeah. stuff, man. Bring your thing. You got to get get <laughs> set up a studio in the basement. That's what you need to do. Sometimes you
2: get stuck in the dungeon, Mike. It's just yeah, the way it goes. Exactly,
3: exactly. All right, folks. Uh, I'm out of time for today. I've got a full day ahead of me. Tomorrow's another one. Still working on some guests. Don't have a full rundown yet, but. We'll see what happens. Appreciate you coming in. We will see you tomorrow.